Hey, have you heard about our all-new free PDF that you can download? It's called Five Ways Unresolved Trauma May Be Derailing Your Relationship. And if you're a couple that has done the date nights and attended the relationship retreats and learned the communication skills, read the latest books on marriage, but you still find yourself stuck in a loop of pain and frustration, then this PDF is for you. If one moment everything is fine and the next moment everything feels crazy and that is familiar, I encourage you to go to restoringthesoul.com, scroll down, fill in your email, and get the free copy of our all-new PDF, Five Ways Unresolved Trauma May Be Derailing Your Relationship. You're going to find it very helpful. Most people feel like they read this and they wonder if we've been reading their mail. They say, this is us. It's going to be of help. Check it out now at restoringthesoul.com. questions haunt every life, writes Andy Crouch. The first, what are we meant to be? And the second, why are we so far from what we're meant to be? Hello and welcome to Restoring the Soul, a podcast dedicated to helping you close the gap from what you're meant to be and what keeps you from being all that. I'm your producer, Brian Beatty. Thank you for listening. What do you long for? How about thirst? And what are your desires? God has uniquely wired us for connection. It's the essence of our being, to know and be known. On this edition of Restoring the Soul, Michael continues a series of podcasts on how shame fuels addiction. Today, he guides us through seven core longings of our heart and questions that are associated with each longing. We encourage you to catch up on previous episodes that also include conversations with Restoring the Soul colleague, Kelly Gray. So without any further delay, here's your host, Michael John Cusick. Hey everybody, it's Michael and welcome to the program again. This is another episode in the five or six part, we're not sure how many parts there will be to this, series on how shame fuels addiction. We've been talking about that in a lot of different ways. And last time, the idea was that shame fuels addiction because it tells us that we can't get our needs met. And if you listen to that episode all the way through, I thought, hmm, I really haven't talked about what our needs are. If you remember from Psychology 101, Maslow's hierarchy of of human needs, it's food, clothing, shelter, uh, those kinds of things. But I want to start with a quote from my friend Kurt Thompson, and I commend his first book, Anatomy of the Soul, to you. Chapter 7 on attachment, the connections of life. Kurt Thompson, what do you crave most in life? Chocolate? A Ferrari F430? A vacation in Fiji? Sex? Actually, there's something each of us wants more, even more than the air we breathe. Connection. While connection may not be our top need for immediate physical survival, our Creator has formed us in such a way that there's nothing more crucial to our long-term welfare. In fact, virtually every action we humans take part in is a deeper attempt to connect with other humans, even when it terrifies us, even when we suspect at some 
inscrutable, preverbal place in our minds that we will be betrayed. Even when we have spent years perfecting our deafness at avoiding connection or carefully protecting ourselves from all but the most controlled forms of it, we find ourselves drawn to it despite our occasional repulsion by it, especially in relation to particular people. Another term that reflects this idea of connection is attachment. So, going back to the introduction to this series, remember I talked about um, addiction as a relationship. The definition that an addiction is an unhealthy, mood-altering relationship with a person, substance, or process. And so, our deepest desire is for connection I like to say, and Kurt unpacks in that same book, Anatomy of the Soul, that our deepest desire is to be known and to know. And God has put these longings in our heart to be known and to know him, to be known by others and to know others. And this starts out at the most fundamental level of birth, infancy, forward, all the way through life from womb to tomb, as some of the attachment writers like to say. So this idea of this longing inside of us for connection, this yearning, this hunger, this thirst, this desire, this is what I'm speaking about when I speak about needs and wants. And I would encourage you not to try to differentiate too strongly between, well, is this a need or a want? You know, I really need Jesus and water and shelter, but, you know, I want a hug, or I want connection, or I want someone to gaze upon me in love, I would argue that that's that's a human need, and that whether we've experienced that or not in our earliest days forward uh, can profoundly affect our capacity to experience well-being on the inside, to feel grounded and connected to ourselves and to others, and ultimately to God. I want to start off this uh, next just literally 10 or 15 minutes more with a verse in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 1 and 2. God says through Isaiah, Come, all who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy, and eat without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen. Listen to me and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare. This idea of hunger and thirst is all throughout the Bible. Uh, my former professor, mentor, and colleague, Dr. Dan Allender, once said that uh, he talked to one of his professors, uh, a Ph.D., long-term Old Testament scholar at Westminster Theological Seminary, and said, is this idea of longings and thirsts and desires, is this just a psychological construct on top of the Bible? Is this just kind of uh, baptized secular thought? And that that mentor of Dan's went and did a long look at Scripture, and he concluded, and remember, this is at Westminster Theological Seminary in the, the late 1980s, He concluded that every one of the books of the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, either explicitly or implicitly revealed this idea of hunger and thirst, desire and yearning that is inside of us as human beings, which reflects the image of God, which therefore implies that God 
yearns and longs and desires for the very things that we long and desire. Jesus says in John chapter 7, if, and there's the contingency, if you are thirsty, come to me and streams of living water will flow from you. I could give passage after passage after passage uh, about hunger and thirst, but what I want to do is give uh, seven categories very quickly. And if this is familiar to you, uh, I have a chapter in my book, Surfing for God, called Insatiable Thirst, where I say that men and women, of course, but the book was written to men, human beings that um, are addictive and compulsive are really trying to satisfy a deep thirst within. It was Aquinas who said that every uh, beneath every in sinful behavior, there's a legitimate God-given appetite or thirst. So it serves us well to say, what are those thirsts? Beneath the surface, down in the deep waters of my heart, that are actually compelling me to go satisfy this thirst in a way that um, I'm drinking from a stream that can never satisfy. So these seven categories are four A's and three S's, and I want to talk about them briefly. Attention, affection, affirmation, acceptance, significance, satisfaction, and security. That these are seven core desires that we have, and each of them has a question attached to it. Now, remember, these are longings or needs, and shame says you can't get your needs met by depending on others. And so shame says you can't have attention and all that that represents. You can't have affection, affirmation, acceptance. You are not significant. So let me walk through these and tell you. Uh, how I think about them. First of all, attention. Attention doesn't mean a person is histrionic. I'm not referring to that or that um, they're they're trying to act in a way to gather attention. But we have this God-given longing to be seen. Read Psalm 139 and you will be struck by how deeply, deeply seen and how God the one who runs the universe, who created the stars and holds them in place in the sky, God pauses and David says, you know at this moment everything about me. Your gaze is upon me. Where can I go from your spirit? And when I when I go to that place where is as far from your spirit as I think it is, I see that your hand is actually laid upon me with blessing and like a parent uh, standing side by side. Uh, if you ever watched the Andy Griffith show or Mayberry RFD, I used to tear up when I was going through trauma where I'd watch that show and I'd see Opie with his fishing pole next to Andy with his fishing pole. And they're walking down this road, father and son. That's the idea of attention. I'm with you. The question with this longing for attention really is, do you value me? And do I matter to the point, dad, where you can come home from work early and we'll go fishing. Or instead of you organizing your tool chest on Saturday, can you pick up the ball and play catch with me? Will you be my Cub Scout leader? Um, Mom, can you stop polishing the silverware or cleaning the house or being so busy leading Bible study that you can just tune in to me, and when I was little, can you get down on the floor and play with me? See, when an adult gives a child attention, it communicates, you matter, and you have value, 
and I see you, and seeing you is important. Affection. What do I mean by affection? Uh, real simply, it's not simply uh, did people hug and kiss and, you know, tousle your hair. Affection is when you walked into the room, did you see the light in the sparkle in the other person's eye because they're glad you're there? Affection is that someone lights up because you came. Affection is I'm delighted that you're part of this, that you're here, that you're mine. And then, of course, that can lead to hugs and embracing and a kiss and running the fingers through the hair. And I, I, I have this picture of this, uh, this mentor figure who he put his hands upon my cheeks and just gazed into my eyes and said, I love you. And whether he spoke those words or not, the affection that was there was like water to my soul. Affirmation, the third A, what is that? Well, John Eldridge said in Wild at Heart, it's as simple as, do I have what it takes? And I think this is a question for men and women. It's often framed as a question just for men. But here's what I think that means. You know, I've never been trained to do neurosurgery. I've never flown an F-18. So do I have what it takes to do those? No. And if I was put in a position to learn how to do that, I wouldn't be the right guy for that, and I probably couldn't do it. I'm not shaming myself. Um, but do I have what it takes to engage with the world as I encounter it? Do I have what it takes to be present in the moment and in relationships? In other words, do you see something? Here's the question. Parent, caregiver, mom, dad, do you see something in me that is substantial? Do you see something in me that has weight? Do you know that the word glory in the Old Testament, we often think of that as something shiny, you know, like the Academy Award, the glory of it. But the Hebrew word is chavod, and it means weight. Glory is weight and substance. So affirmation is when that parent, that mom, dad, caregiver looks at the child and says, yes, there's something in you that is that is good and substantial, and I affirm it. You have what it takes. Attention, affection, affirmation, and the fourth A is acceptance. Acceptance is all about belonging. Acceptance is not, did I get accepted on the track team or as a cheerleader or chess club, or am I accepted by the kids at, in junior high at the lunch table? Of course, those things matter and it can involve that, but acceptance is about belonging. It's about community. It's about being integrated into, and ultimately it's, is there a place that is home? Is there a place that's home? 99 times out of 100 in my own life and when I'm working with people with addictions, what drives their compulsion is that there's nowhere that is home for them. And the object of the addiction, the person, the behavior, the substance, has a sense of bringing them home to themselves where everything feels right, where they feel grounded, where they feel anchored, and where everything's okay. So four S's, attention, affection, affirmation, and acceptance. And then three S's. The first S is satisfaction. And by satisfaction, one could think of this as a stomach that is empty or a heart that is empty, and then it's filled up. 
Uh, you might remember the old Snickers bar commercial. It's so satisfying. You know, three o'clock in the afternoon, I go down to the vending machine, I grab a Snickers, and it's so satisfying. So I don't need anything else. The satisfaction is really about a sense of internal well-being. If you've ever fasted, you can get to a place where you're empty, and um, it's really remarkable. I, I did this recently, not because I'm super spiritual, but for a health reason. And uh, when that initial hunger pang goes away, there's this sense of satisfaction that can almost feel like an increase in focus and energy. It's, it's really uncanny because in the absence of food, something else kicks in where your body and your brain kind of realigns and sharpens for a time being. And obviously, it can only be sustained that way for a period of time. But the satisfaction, the question is, do I have well-being? Where can I find well-being? And this sense of satisfaction for the infant for the young child, for the grade schooler, for the adolescent, from those early stages forward, that's meant to be something brought to the child from the outside. And then as the child gets older, they can obviously develop and internalize a sense of, I can find satisfaction um, through doing a project and finishing it from beginning to end. The next S is significance, and this is also related to substance. But the question with significance is, um, do I have impact? It's kind of like, do I matter with the attention, which is really more about value. But um, significance is, is my existence on the planet? Is my existence in this family? Is my existence in this Bible study? Uh, in this marriage, in this friendship, does it matter? If I died tomorrow, would it make a difference? Somebody said this way to me years ago. Am I just a vapor? Am I just a wind that kind of blows through and doesn't really impact anything? Or does my, my life have, here's the word again, weight, gravity, do I have to have a PhD and have a high position in a political party or be a billionaire or have a huge ministry to be significant? Well, the scriptures say that every one of us is significant, that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. And in Jeremiah 1, God says, before I formed you, I knew you and I set you apart. And so our significance and the longing to be significant is something that we can misdirect and that the voice of shame says, you'll never get that need met, Michael, unless your next book is a New York Times bestseller. Then you'll be significant. Or why even try? Why show up in the world? You think that you make an impact? Ha! The last S, attention, affection, affirmation, acceptance, satisfaction, significance, and the last is security. We all know the phrase, oh, so-and-so is so insecure. But security is a deep-seated need in our human soul. And remember, the, the soul is body, mind, emotions, will, and spirit. And so security is something that we don't just need emotionally and spiritually, but it's something that we need in our physical self. Right now, if while you were listening to this podcast, a firecracker, a very loud firecracker went off right next to you, your nervous system would go into high alert, 
your amygdala in your limbic system would smell smoke. The amygdala has been called uh, the smoke detector of our brain, and it would say smoke, and it would signal loudly there's a fire, and so danger, get out, when you heard that firecracker. Your nervous system wouldn't feel secure because the operating mechanism that God gave us was this uh, survival mechanism. And security asks the question, in my relationships, as an infant laying in the crib, as a preschooler, as a grade schooler, as a middle schooler, an adolescent, as a man or woman in this marriage, in this relationship, in my job, am I secure? Meaning, when there's a threat, am I going to be okay? See, safety is about the prevention and avoidance of harm. Security is about some kind of harm or assault or loud noise that overwhelms us happens, but we're somehow okay. And in trauma, there's that absence of security. And that's what makes the neurological system go haywire. So these four A's and three S's are what I'm simply calling the seven core longings of our heart. And so if shame says that we can't get our needs met by depending on others, we will not get these longings met by depending on others. I therefore have to find a way through my own power all by myself I've got to get these needs met, and that's what fuels addiction, and that's how shame fuels addiction. Now, there's some of you that are going, you know, Cusick mentioned seven core desires. I know Greek, or I know Hebrew, or I read such and such a book, and I think there's 13.75 core desires. And I just want to say, probably so. There could be ones that are S's or A's. It doesn't matter. I think there's probably an infinite number of desires, as many adjectives as there are. But these seven core ones seem to correlate uh, well with these four S's of seen, soothed, safe, and secure that you might have heard me refer to in other podcasts, which are the four building blocks of attachment. So we're going to come back around to the final way that shame fuels addiction in the very next episode. Thank you so much for listening. For those of you who have sent emails, who have written reviews of the podcast, and for those that reach out through the Restoring the Soul website, thank you. Your encouragement, it means a great deal to us. By the way, we are about six weeks away, statistically speaking, from one million downloads, and we have something really special coming up to celebrate that big turn of events. Um, this has been a real journey. It's been a real joy, and I want to thank the producer and engineer of the Restoring the Soul podcast, Brian Beatty, who for the first two and a half years was in Seoul, Korea, and produced and engineered the program, and now he's stateside. But Brian, uh, thank you. I'm grateful for our partnership and friendship and for all you do. So my dear listeners and friends, thanks for tuning in, and we will get you next time on Restoring the Soul. Bless you. So we've wrapped up another episode of Restoring the Soul. We want you to know that Restoring the Soul is so much more than a podcast. In fact, the heart of what we have done for nearly 20 years is intensive counseling. When you can't wait months or years to get out of the rut you're in, our intensive counseling programs in Colorado allow you to experience deep change in half-day blocks over two weeks. To learn more, visit RestoringTheSoul.com. That's RestoringTheSoul.com.